Welcome to the Choose You Netcast. This is Jim Langlois with the word from Joshua 24:15. Choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's my prayer that this netcast will encourage and cheer you on as we join forces to draw the line in the sand, defending our faith and our households in the resurrection power of Jesus. Join me each weekday as we dig deeply into God's amazing word and bring up the rich treasures of his blessings. Are you ready? Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, me and my house, me and my house. I said choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, me and my house, me and my house. Good morning, NetWorld, and thank you for tuning in. We're continuing with our series called Breaking Myths About God. And our text scripture is Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And the myths we've studied so far Number one was God is trying to teach us something through sickness, disease, bad circumstance, temptation, and tragedy. We simply found out that that's not true. And the second myth we studied was God works in mysterious ways. Well, even if it seemed true in the past, it certainly is not true in the New Testament. And the third myth we studied is the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And we found out The more scriptural way to say that sentence is the Lord gives and the Lord receives. And we started the fourth myth yesterday called Acts of God. Wikipedia says an act of God is a legal term for events outside human control, such as sudden floods or other natural disasters for which no one can be held responsible. Well, the one thing that I've learned in life is that God is good and the devil is bad. It's really that simple. Does this mean that we have to blame the devil on everything bad? Well, no, sometimes we cause the problems all by ourselves. We didn't need help at all. So how do we know when a tragedy is from Satan, God, nature, or we did it all by ourselves? Well, a better way to ask it would be, how can we tell if tragedy is judgment from God? Now, that's what I call a straight question. What we found out yesterday in our study is, As you study each of God's judgments, we will notice there are two standards that he always abides by. The first standard is the judgment is prophesied, and the people, both the righteous and the unrighteous, are warned in advance. And the second standard is he always provides a way of escape. One good example we find would be God's warning in advance to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 7 verses 14 through 18. And secondly, that he did have a way of escape for Pharaoh. It was simply to obey. Well, Pharaoh did not, and so judgment came. There were ten prophesied judgments that took place with Pharaoh. The plague of blood, the plague of frogs, the plague of lice, the plague of flies, the plague of livestock death, the plague of boils, the plague of hail, the plague of locusts, the plague of darkness, and the death of the firstborn. For each plague, Pharaoh was warned in advance. God even told Moses before he went back to Egypt 
that Pharaoh would harden his heart and that the final plague would be the death of the firstborn. So warnings in advance and provisions for escape are just two of the common occurrences in true judgments from God. I'm going to read you a list showing that God is a God of grace and mercy during any judgment he sends. And here are the facts about true judgments from God. First, he warns in advance. God warned Moses in advance that Pharaoh would harden his heart and not let the people go. That's in Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. And God prophesied the death of the firstborn in advance to Moses in Exodus chapter 4, verse 23. Choices are offered to the wicked in advance. And you'll see that in Exodus chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. Another fact about true judgments from God is the righteous are sent out or protected if they're listening. You'll see that in Exodus chapter 12, verses 27 through 30. The next point I'd like to make is that the judgments from God are miraculous and not natural in the sense of size and severity. You'll see that in Exodus chapter 10, verse 14. And listen to this. Even the unrighteous begin to believe it's the finger of God, but they do not change. You'll see that in Exodus chapter 8, verse 19. Another point is during the true judgments of God is they single out the unrighteous and spare the righteous, even concerning their livestock and their light, and only the unbelieving suffer. And you'll see that in Exodus chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. Another point is, true judgments of God are sent as warnings to the unrighteous to afford them a means of seeing God's will and an opportunity to repent. My goodness. And finally, repentance can always stop the judgment. However, in the cases where the judgment actually took place, the unbelieving and the unrighteous have shown no repentance and have hardened their hearts against God. That's found in Exodus chapter 8 and Exodus chapter 10. I'll add one more comment on determining whether a disaster is the judgment of God, a weather phenomenon, human error, or human evil. When it is truly the judgment of God, whatever was destroyed is never rebuilt. Think of Sodom and Gomorrah, the flood of Noah, the Tower of Babel, the walls of Jericho. And then finally, one very important thing to understand about God's judgment is that God is the righteous judge. Yes, that's right. He is a judge, but he's a righteous judge. And all his judgments are right. You see, many times God gets blamed for evil and tragic things he did not do, and many times he gets little or no credit for the good things he has done. Boy, that helps to explain the judgments of God, doesn't it? Let me read Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 again, our text scripture. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Let's go into our fifth myth it's called the doctrine of suffering and here's the fact our christian suffering is not sickness disease poverty tragedy negative circumstances accidents or temptation but rather it's persecution shame for his name trials of temptation 
and the suffering our flesh cries out as we walk in the Spirit. As we consider the word persecution, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13 says, And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. And being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. Filth of the world and offscouring. Boy, those are strong words. There's another scripture in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, which talks about suffering shame for his name. It says, So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Wow, that's a type of persecution. And then the term trials of temptation. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 in the Amplified Version. For no temptation, no trial regarded as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold on you that is not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you such as man can bear. But God is faithful to his word and to his compassionate nature, and he can be trusted not to let you to be tempted and tried and assayed beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with the temptation, he will always provide the way out, the means of escape to a landing place that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. I like that. He always provides a way of escape. And there's another term called suffering in the flesh. We find that in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his life in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Now that is a scriptural type of suffering. It's called suffering in the flesh. Our flesh is never happy when we walk in the spirit. And then another term, arm ourselves with the same mind. Well, what mind is Peter talking about? First Peter chapter 4, verse 1 in the Amplified, it says this, So since Christ suffered in the flesh for us, for you, arm yourselves with the same thought and purpose patiently to suffer rather than fail to please God. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, having the mind of Christ is done with intentional sin, has stopped pleasing himself and the world and pleases God. So to suffer in the flesh is to stop pleasing yourself and the world in order to please God. Why? Because when you do, your flesh will not be real happy. You see, your flesh has the propensity, the natural inclination or tendency to eat too much, drink too much, sleep too much, spend too much, disobey, be selfish, rebel, get angry, sin, be lazy, and so on. And when we renew our mind to the word of God, our flesh starts kicking and screaming, I want more. However, when our spirit rises up and controls the flesh, our flesh is not exactly happy. Actually, the Bible calls it suffering. Yes, we can find suffering as a Christian. It mentions that in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. However, the suffering for a Christian spoken of in the Bible does not include sickness, disease, poverty, tragedy, spiritual death, and so on. Yes, 
Most of us have suffered some of these things in life as Christians, and this is why Jesus came. He's our Savior, our Deliverer, and the Holy Spirit is our Helper. John fourteen sixteen in the Amplified Version says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Comforter, Counselor, Helper, Intercessor, Advocate, Strengthener, and Standby, that he may remain with you forever. Remember, through the teaching of his word and by his example, he mentors us how to handle the difficulties we face in life. And he redeemed us from the curse of the law, which includes sickness, disease, poverty, and so on. But we're not redeemed from the suffering of persecution, shame for his name, tests of temptation, and suffering in the flesh as we walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 in the Amplified Version says, But I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit, then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh of human nature without God. Yes, it's concerning the myth of suffering as Christians. Well, our time is up, so come back tomorrow, same time, same place, same channel, and I call you blessed. You have been listening to the Choose You Netcast with Jim Langlois. If you have enjoyed this program, you can find out more about Jim Langlois Ministries on the Master's House website at tmhnow.org. That's tmhnow.org. On the media tab, you can listen to many more messages, subscribe to my daily devotional emails, and follow the link to my blog site. If you'd like to write me or become a financial partner with this ministry, my address is The Master's House, Post Office Box 1568, Mechanicsville, Virginia, 23116. That's The Master's House, Post Office Box 1568, Mechanicsville, Virginia, 23116. Online donations can also be made at tmhnow.org, and my email address is pastorjim at tmhnow.org. This is Jim Langlois saying be blessed, you and your whole household. Until next time. Choose you this day, but that's for me and my house, me and my house, me and my house.